Go for it. Hi, I'm Ted Sharma, joint managing partner of Shelley Sands. Leave a message after the beep. And I've been in the game for over three decades. I love public speaking, and in fact, I love the people and characters in my industry. It's in the nature of hospitality to talk and engage, and likewise for property people to network. So loving the chat and the sector meant only one thing, a podcast to bring them all together. There are plenty of successes and at the same time plenty of struggles. I think it's important to share our worlds with you. Over the series, I'm going to talk to some of the industry's leading figures, hear their stories and really make this a conversation starter for our industry. Please subscribe for the ongoing series and I hope you enjoy it. Last week we heard from the founder of Patty and Bun, Joe Grossman, who was most shy in retiring. <laughs> uh, slight... Uh, slight humour in there somewhere, Uh, he was urged by his family to follow his passion, which is very encouraging in the hospitality sector. So often it's snubbed, I think, by many people as as a career. And this just goes to show that everybody, in my opinion, should follow their passion. This week we have James Elliott, very much in the same school of passion, founder of Pizza Pilgrims. Mm -hmm. Welcome, James. Hi, Ted. Hello. This is very exciting. <laughs> I've always thought you have a kind of American late night TV show about you. Kind of Conan O'Brien vibes. Well, I'm up for it. I'm up for it. The more, the more I love being in the spotlight. So uh, this is definitely a happy place. Well, mate, thank you for having me. I'm just putting my phone on silent. Thank you. Right. Well played, sir. Um, so having not listened to any of the podcasts before, shame on you. I know. I love to um, start with unravelling all of the characters' journeys, because, of course, it, un- it starts with its passion and then it develops and develops. And I, I, I'm sure I know some of your story, but I'd love you to go as far back as you possibly can from the beginning and tell us all about it. From, from before restaurant days? Well, perhaps how did you find, you know, did, were you born with a passion <clears throat> For so, pizza, were you, were you an Italian family? I'm uh, not sure you are. I left school and I went to university and I studied popular and world music, but I can't read music and I managed to blag a two one. So I did a three year degree in like how to blag it through a degree, which came very useful for restaurants. And then I went into radio production. I was in six, I was working for six music for about two years and then into TV production for about six years. And like TV production is hard and it's a really, really tricky industry and I wasn't getting anywhere and I, I think by the end of the sixth year I was basically pretty miserable I was like I don't know what I'm doing I'm not getting anywhere and then I remember going to a car park in Peckham and the, there was an v- ambulance there with a burger thing in the back and it was the first iteration of meat liquor it was meat wagon and there was probably about 300 people in this car park and I was just blown away by it I was like I mean what's he what, how much does this cost to get set up this must have cost 10 grand maybe to get set up. Um, and me and my brother, who's my business partner, Tom, we'd kind of been flirting with the idea of quitting our jobs. He was working in advertising at the time as a sort of account man, sort of very non-Don Draper-esque advertising. <laughs> and uh, he was also miserable. And so we both had this amazing like, tool in our arsenal, which was that we were both miserable in our jobs. And you know, we were young enough, I was 26, Tom was 28, you're still only 26. No kids. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> In my eyes. Um, so we had no dependencies, and it was just like, if we're going to do anything. Tom was about to sign up to do the um, quick round of becoming a doctor. So he was completely lost. He didn't know what he was doing. 
And then, yeah, opening a pub, we thought it would be great. We grew up at a pub. So we grew up in a, in a pub, two pubs that my parents run when we were kids, both in the country, both food-led, kind of that first wave of gastro pub wave in the early 90s. Right. And then the second one with room. So we kind of grew up around hospitality. And then, yeah, street food thing landed, and it was like, oh, wow, we could do this on a credit card. So we literally, <laughs> we took out a credit card and uh, came up with this idea of a street food business. I spent a summer working in a restaurant in Tuscany in, in between my university holidays, and I'd seen how they were using pizza ovens. And my original business idea was to start a pizza oven company, installing pizza ovens in people's gardens. But then um, there's this guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, called Jamie Oliver. He, yes, yeah, yes, he's, he's up and coming. He's going to be a great thing in food. I yeah, think. I think he's in food. <laughs> he he bought every single pizza oven company in the country at that point and was turning it into Jamie Oliver ovens. So I was like, okay, cool. We'll probably let him crack on with that. Yeah. So then put that away, and then it was two years later when the street food thing was happening. It was like pizza. Let's do pizza. And there were. I wish I could say that, like you know, I was pizza was my destiny. But we were looking at the street food thing. I'd worked with pizza a little bit before. And everyone was doing burgers. And it was like, there's no one really doing pizza. And at the exact same time, us and Ryan, the guys from Home Slice, started. And we were kind of the only two people doing pizza. And I, I think we had a couple years of being the two pizza companies. And I really just put that down to the fact that, like, lugging around a pizza oven is a complete ball ache. And so not many street food companies did it. So we came up with this idea of getting a three-wheel tuk-tuk and putting another in the back. I, had that, I carried that drawing in my little notepad when I was working in TV. Like I'd sort of sketched it like a hundred different, a hundred different ways for like a year. So I was obsessed with this idea of like a pizza oven in the back of an ape. How would that work? Um, so, sorry, I'm not just rambling. No, right, I'm right? loving this. Okay. I'm not, I thought I knew you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, had the sketch of an ape, was working in TV, hated it. And then finally took the plunge when Tom came on board. Um, and then we, I remember we were, we were figuring out how to get hold of an ape. And it turned out you could only get a new one. We definitely wanted a new one because you didn't want it to break down from Italy. And it was going to cost £3,000 to ship it from Italy to London. So we were like, three grand. I reckon for three grand, we could probably drive back from Italy. And then this idea of a trip started to like develop. And then the trip became a pilgrimage. And then we, we, that idea just started to snowball. And the last thing I did before I left TV was pitch it as a TV show. So we ended up by some weird, I mean, it was the weirdest, weirdest time of my life. We ended up having a film crew come with us, like following us the whole way, a six-week pilgrimage through Italy, um, making a TV show about our journey through Italy, like a sort of sort of lightweight Keith Floyd situation, just traveling through. It was like my absolute dream because I was obsessed with food TV growing up. Um, and yeah, we, we got to spend time in Naples and we, we picked up the Vespa in Sicily and drove the whole length of the country, learning everything about Italian food. Spent a long time in Naples. And one of the big questions of the pilgrimage is, are we going to do Naples food or Roman food, uh, pizza? Naples pizza or Roman pizza? And we got to Naples and we went to Damichele, the first pizzeria, and we took one bite of a Neapolitan pizza and we're just like, game over. And there the differences one. are between the two? Well, there's two. <laughs> oh, that's a big question. Well, Neapolitan pizza is one kind. That is the Neapolitan pizza that is now kind of quite famous around the UK. When, when we started, there was two Francomancas, Santa Maria were open. Mm -hmm. There was, there was the place down in La Donna Margarita in Lavender Hill. That was kind of it. There was like four or five Neapolitan pizzerias, in, in, to my knowledge, in London at the time. So Neapolitan pizza is slow-proved, hot oven, 500 degrees. Um, you've got a cornicione, which is like the raised crust on the side. It's got like a chewy texture. It's quite soft and floppy, and the mozzarella is quite a sort of sloppy pizza. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then Roman pizza is thinner crust, less toppings. I always find the cities kind of reflect, reflect the pizzas. Naples is a bit like sort of messy and crazy and fun and delicious. And Rome's just a little bit more refined, a little crispier. Um, Interesting. So yeah, we, we, we chose Neapolitan pizza <clears throat> and, um, then we got back to, ne- we got back to London, put a pizza oven in the back of the van and then, and then we kind of hit a bit of a bump. We were like, what do we, what do we, what do we do? What do we, what do we trade? And then, um, we figured out that we wanted to be somewhere permanent and we loved Soho because we've been working in TV. So we just hammered, uh, Berwick Street Market Council until they gave us a spot. And it, I remember our original setup was, we didn't have a kitchen, so we had the three-wheel tuk-tuk on Berwick Street Market in between two of the fruit and veg sellers. And uh, they used to call us the apprentice. Like These are like, like Jimmy, and, Jimmy and Carl and that lot. They've like, been there for like 50 years. And they're like, oh, are they fucking here? They, oh, can I swear? No. Not really, but you know, Joe, Joe might have let a word or two slip last yeah, week. I'm gonna do, I'll do it in the quoting of a fruit and veg man of Soho. Here they fucking come, the apprentice. Because like, <laughs> we're just sort of running around, no idea what we were doing. And um, we managed to convince Billy, who run the, the Endurance. Remember the Endurance? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Billy Drew. That's now, what's it? That is now the That's, smoky um, duck and rice. Duck and rice. So Billy used to let us, we, he let us take over his cellar in the basement. And we used to prove dough in his beer cellar for like a year and a half. And we ran a whole events business out of the basement of the Endurance. Amazing. Which is amazing. We now got a duck and rice. It's where you go for a pee. Was <laughs> that? So we started a new rhinal, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hopefully it's not where you'll end up. Um, <laughs> Inevitably. But, yeah, yeah, but um, was that not where Joe also did his pop-up with so his Joe patty? Joe was doing a pop-up in Battersea. There was something that used to happen in Battersea, like a pop-up event thing that happened in a big warehouse space. I never went there. But Joe, I'd met Joe and I said, I, I was running the street food van out of Berwick Street and then Billy, the landlord of the endurance, was like, oh, the street food thing's interesting. Mm. Maybe they could do, I can get rid of my kitchen and start doing pop-ups. So I said, cool, I'll run the pop-ups for you. So we ran a bunch of pop-ups through Billy's pub, one of which being Joe. Oh, right. And do you know what was so interesting? Joining the dots. That was so great for me and Tom as like starting out, no idea what we're doing, running a business because we got to interact and see how other businesses were operating because every month we'd put a new person in as a pop-up. And like there were so many professional outfits and none of them are still going. The only one that's still going is Joe. And he was complete chaos. And he, like, he was like, he, he had a great team around him, but Joe was just amazing. Like the energy was just unbelievable. Um, and he just, he's the only person who just completely filled the pub. And you could just see that Joe just had this thing that he could just make it happen. Um, but I, I always remember him just running into the kitchen and just going like, we're running around and going like, yeah, oh my God. And like, sort of like pick up a saucepan, put it on the floor and be like, is that what am I doing <laughs> in the first days? Um, so yeah, so that was that was the kind of, and then we ran the the Berwick Street Market stall for like a year and a half. Was that an instant success? Did you did you kind of open and people were like, oh, I've got to get this. This is this is what I want. I remember we had to sell, dinner. We had to do five hundred quid a day to break even. Um, not to break even. That was like that was a, that was a good day. If we did five hundred quid in a day, that was good. And we were selling a pizza for a fiver, so we had to do a hundred pizzas. And I think. Yeah, it kind of was. It was slightly. I mean, I've never worked so hard as I did in those first two years. We did five days a week on the market, and we'd probably do two two events during the week, and then every weekend was a festival or a some kind of thing. So it was it was definitely seven days a week working for like wow. a year and a half, two years. Yeah, and yeah, you just street food. I think is always 
for me, just going to be the most amazing way to start a food business because you get this like instant interaction with the customer. You get to w- tweak and work with the product every day, keep like getting better and better at it. But it's one of the only real spaces where the chef just instantly hands the product over to the customer and they instantly take a bite and then you have a chat about it. So like that was really great. Like I, and you just have no overheads. You know, we were paying, you'll like this as a, as a property man, our pitch on Berwick Street Market, mm-hmm. which was a three meter wide pitch, uh, was 10 pounds a day in Soho. Wonderful. So we had like a, we had a spot for 10 quid <laughs> a day. We were paying mates of ours who were like, out of work actors and musicians, 50 quid, cash in hand. Thank you very much. Um, and yeah, it was just a really nice space to just like figure out what the hell we're up to and what we're doing and sort of like learn our, our craft, I suppose, our skill. So that was, yeah, that was. And the TV program was that, where did that go? Just because I, I must what, now watch it, I feel. The TV program has kind of been buried, I think. <laughs> I don't know where it ended up. It went out on Food Network in 2012. Uh, so I actually don't know. I've not, There's I, not I, online, I don't, I don't have a copy of it. I think it's probably available online somewhere. We'll have to search. Dug, dug to the bottom somewhere. Yeah, I'll be searching. Um, but that was, I remember that being like, when you're starting out, you just need something to get your foot in the door. And I remember when we were trying to get a pitch on Berwick Street Market and they were just, at the time they weren't really set up for that much street food and they weren't there a bit sort of like cagey about it. Having things like that, having like a little, we had, a, you know, we're, we've got a TV show coming out. It could be great for Berwick Street Market kind of thing. That, those kind of little hooks that you can get when you're starting a business is so handy because it kind of just gets your foot in the door and like gets you a chance to like. Well, pe- people talk about culture and, 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 and that kind of ethos and uh, everything you've described builds, mm. builds straight into that, doesn't it? In terms of the, the, it's in the name, Pizza Pilgrim, you've been to Italy, you've, you came back, et cetera. So, yeah. you know, it's, we had not, a real, we had it's a close... not fabricated. No, the whole thing has been me and Tom hated our jobs basically so it's like we've got to do something that's more there must be more <laughs> than working in tv and advertising and like not being good at it was the key thing so talking about more you've established yourselves in the roots of street food yeah you're banging out your 500 pounds a day yeah or, or taking taking 500 pounds out of 100 pizzas which is quite a few and then clearly you thought to yourselves right we've got something here well what, what next that was it. That was like, we've done it. The reason we started a street food business was because I was watching all my friends in TV make it because they were like creating their own short films and like directing them. And I was like, what's, all I wanted to do was work in food. I was like, what's the food version of a short film? And I was like, a street food fan. So for me, it was like, let's do this project. Let's do the amazing trip through Italy, you know, get some experience, run a little street food operation for a year. And then I'll probably get a job working for someone. That was that was like, and Tom thought the same thing. Um, so it was like it was it was just a little fun project, which which I think really helped because it keeps you really like nimble and you know we weren't too sort of set in our ways or too nervous about it because it was just it just was going to be a thing for a year, and then yeah, and then it went well, and we kind of decided that we were going to stick with it. We then started Forza Win with Bash. You know, Forza indeed, yeah. yes, fantastic. Great man for the pod, if you want to get someone on. Yeah, thank um, you. Yeah, so we started like a pop-up thing on the roof with, with Bash, and we called it Forza Win, and then we realized that we were kind of running two different businesses, and so Bash ended up sort of taking on Forza Win and taking it to what it is today, which is sort of way more than what we'd first ever thought it was going to be. And then, yeah, we were like, we, we, if, if, there, if, there, if this really is the dream and we can do whatever we like, let's open a restaurant, let's see what opening a pizzeria looks like. 
And it was just as like Instagram was happening and Twitter was happening. There was an amazing like time in Twitter when you could basically tweet anyone and they'd reply to you. And I remember Russell Norman, who was like the doyen of the, of the restaurant world at the time. You know, Polpo was like absolutely at his absolute height. We tweeted him and said, hey, can we catch up? Can we have a beer? And so we went, we hadn't had a beer and he, uh, he was like, yeah, you know, opening a restaurant, that'd be good. Um, we've actually just looked at a site that's not right for Polpo. It's not big enough, but maybe you can come around. So I actually found the photo the other day. Russell took us on our first site visit of, um, the, our first site in Dean Street, which was an old Indonesian restaurant on the corner. And it was like right opposite Pizza Express. So it was like Pizza Express on one corner and Pizza Pilgrims on the other corner. And we were like, I like that. It's kind of a sort of David and Goliath moment. Um, so yeah. So then we, 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 we're still running the street food van and then we decided to open Pizza Pilgrim's Dream Street. So we got a little bit of an investment. I think we fit out the Dean Street restaurant for 70,000. Uh, so Great. it was like, yeah, all this, we, all the, underneath we had a green and white checker tables, but underneath were like really ornate Indonesian <laughs> restaurant tables <laughs> <laughs> that kept on breaking. I remember that. Uh, we had, I mean, the place, I mean, it was unbelievable. We had a, we had a single, single phase 60 amp feed which meant that every night the power would go out. And we used to do this thing called like uh, blackout limoncellos, which was like when the power went out, everyone got a free limoncello. <laughs> How romantic. Um, yeah, it kind of was. I mean, it was like hooker by crook stuff. I remember we didn't have any air con, <clears throat> which, was, which was, we opened in August. So that was really tricky. Uh, so we were buying like little individual air con units and trying to sort of like, I was like gaffer taping them into the extraction system. It was completely like, yeah, seat of your pants stuff. Um, but it did open because we, cause we'd already traded for like a year and a half in Soho and we'd done all the festivals and stuff. We opened in Dean Street and it did, it took off. It was too busy to be honest. We got, we got slightly panned by the, by the, I remember we got a two star review by timeout and they called our pizza, um, two stars, two stars. That's a bit mean. It's a bit mean. Is that me? No, I, I think that's somebody else in the office. So, uh, we shall, we shall. It's the, two, it's the time star, timeout, yeah. two star alarm going off. Uh, yeah, we got two stars in timeout. Or well, it might have been one star because, um, and they called it uh, floppy naan breads covered in sauce. Ooh. Which was like absolutely. And then the funniest it's thing. It's almost misdescriptions. Chris Popel, one of the bloggers at the time, like ran a campaign to get it overturned. And we ended up getting our review overturned. Wow. From a one star up to a. I think it was only to a three star. To right. But they did, over, they came back and did it again. And like. Sounds strange that they would be so disingenuous to uh, something that is so popular, had been so popular. No, the truth is, is that we'd opened our first restaurant and we, we thought it was just going to be put a street food van inside walls and it was actually going to be easier because you didn't have to deal with the weather. Turns out it's a whole bunch more complicated. Um, so I think those first few months of running the Dean Street restaurant, it was very inconsistent. Uh, and just like, yeah, it was a complete have a go kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, we spent a year in Dean Street really getting our stuff together and like figuring out a bit more about how to employ people, how to, how to, you know, how to run a restaurant from start to finish and everything from working with landlords to how to market the place, Funny fixing agents. it out, maintenance. I mean, that really was a baptism of fire of learning that. And then, um, and then, yeah, then we had the opportunity. It makes me laugh. Shaftesbury approached us. And said, "Hey, we'd like you to take this restaurant in Kingley Street." On that corner, I mean, you know, that was heavily contested. Yeah, heavily contested. 
What is in com- competitive? Yeah, yeah. It's a, I mean, it is being that was a real turning point for our business. That we we were running a you know we had a great name going on. We'd had a good couple of years. We'd opened Dean Street, and then they came along and said we'd like you to come and open here. And we initially turned it down. We were like, no, it's seven minutes from Dean Street. That's crazy. We need to open a different part of London if we're going to open a second site. Um, and then and then yeah, we we ended up taking it because the guy that did our PR at the time. I remember we were standing in front of the Kingley Street site and we were going, I just, we can't do it. It's seven minutes walk and it's massive. And it's like, this is crazy. And then the guy who was doing our PR, Warren Johnson, his name is, he walked up on his phone. He goes, is this the site? And we were like, yeah. And he goes, take it. And then just literally walked off and was back on his phone. And we were like, okay, cool. We'll take it. Considered advice. Yeah, considered advice. Just two words. And that did kind of change the way that, because that opened... And it's just the, the, the it, was, it was backbone of the business in terms of financially, and that gave us like the chops to go and take a third and fourth, fifth site, basically. Brilliant, brilliant. So yeah, it was a mad. It was like when I look back now, it's ten years like to this year, basically, since we sort of started, and uh, we had no idea what we were doing. Like I don't know, I think yeah, I don't know, I don't know how we made it to be honest. Well, I mean, who does at the end of the day? <laughs> and until you start something the best way to learn is through the experiences that you've learned. Yes. Same with any small business, I suspect. Now, a birdie told me, or a little birdie told yeah. me, that you've done another pilgrimage recently. Is that correct? <laughs> word on the street, sir. Word on the street. Well, yeah. Are we allowed to talk about that? Is that something that um, uh, you can share? What's or the, not? Well, what is the... When, when does this go out? Is this this go will out go afternoon? out in a week's time. In a week's time. That will be the 20... 8th of June. 28th of June. Come on, tell us a little I bit. Think, I think, I think, I think we're, we're, we're sort of talking about it on the 29th of June, so I'll give you a little sort of... Pre- little whisper. <laughs> a whisper. Not, I mean, I'm making it sound like it's some sort of like embargo no, thing. No. But basically, yeah, it was 10 years and we were like, we've got to do something great for our 10th birthday. Like that is a, that is a mark we never thought we'd get to. So we didn't want to do like, you know, 10% off for 10 days or something stupid like that. So we were like, what could we do? And basically what we managed to do is come up with this, a new, more ridiculous vehicle to take on a pilgrimage to Italy. It sounds like an episode of Top Gear. It, it did, did you know what, a little bit, well, maybe a little less sort of toxic. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, so we, we, we went back out to Naples and we'd, we've done this like second 10 day pilgrimage around, around Naples um, in what we're calling the world's smallest pizzeria, which is basically a Vespa with a sidecar that we designed in, in the UK with a company called Watsonian Sidecars, who are like, they make all the old school sidecars. They made Hagrid's sidecar for Harry Potter. And so it's got like, it, it's got a, it's, a, it's a Vespa, it's got a sidecar that you sit in, and the, on the back of the sidecar is a big box with a counter that folds over that you can make pizzas on. Dough, dough fits underneath, and then the pizza ovens, you know the little rock box pizza ovens yeah, by Gosling? Yeah. That's on the back, like a sort of back box. And we shipped it out to Italy and we did a 10-day pilgrimage all around Italy. I, I'm guessing you didn't drive and make the pizza at the same time. <laughs> no, although I did drive. I forgot to turn the oven off, so the gas was burning. Do you want to see a photo of it? I'd it's love not, to. It's not going to be great for podcasts. But, uh, but... No, not be, but I'm sure it's uh, an exceptional. So, wow, it's a, it's a, it's a green retro Vespa. Um, <laughs> and it looks like a crazy expedition. And it was this being filmed as well so or how did you yeah so we t- we 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 took um 
we took a friend of ours, Alex, who's making a little film. So it's going to be for social. But the idea was that let's go back to Naples 10 years on in a new pizza making vehicle and let's hunt out the new side of like, and, and like the, the things that are in Naples that haven't made it back to London yet. Because I think the interesting has happened for us in the last 10 years of Neapolitan pizza is that when we started, as I said, there were like four pizzerias that mm-hmm. were doing proper Neapolitan pizzeria to my knowledge. Um, and then now it's everywhere. And like the Neapolitan pizza is kind of every, it's the, it's the ubiquitous pizza of, of London and the UK, I reckon. I think most people describe it as a, just as a sourdough pizza. I think yeah. that's the way Which it's is described. The, the, I'm guessing the kind of the Franco Manca effect, I think the, the kind of Perhaps. sourdough pizzas. Yeah. Um, but yes, you're right. That's definitely the dominant pizza. Because when we were starting, we used to get so many complaints about the style of pizza because it's like, I can't pick up the slice. It's all sloppy. What's going on? Right. It's not crispy. I like my pizzas crispy. Everyone used to say, I like the pizzas thin and crispy. That was the kind of the old thing. So yeah, now the kind of the, the whole pizza world's moved on and everyone's eating Neapolitan style pizzas, which is great. And so we were just thinking, you know, what, how can we move the dial forward and sort of keep our, keep our menu exciting and fresh. And so we did this 10 days going and like hanging out with pizza chefs and suppliers and cocktail barmen. And like, we, we make a limoncello with a guy out in Amalfi. So we went and spent the day with him and like picked our lemons. And so we did, it was just the most amazing trip. And out of it, we've built a new menu for that's launching in the summer. Brilliant. So it's, uh, it was really fun. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And the, like the Vespa with the sidecar, Neapolitans, like Italians, it just it was turning heads. It was so much fun to see them just like, because I don't think they really have sidecars in Italy. So they were like, what the hell have you done to our Vespa? Well, and also you're in a way taking ice back to the Eskimos, aren't you? I mean, it's kind of... <laughs> well, we culminated the whole trip in a pop-up at Damakeli, which is like the most revered, most old school pizzeria in Naples. Right. So that was, a, for, for me and Tom, that was a really special moment because that was kind of like... I don't know. We felt like we were kind of being inducted into the kind of Neapolitan pizza family. Great. Which was, which was a really cool experience, I have to say. So you can, Italy, uh, coming together quite nicely. Yeah. No, it's good. So that was, yeah. So that's, that's where I've been in the last couple of weeks, which was just a totally mad experience. And, um, I suppose it's just all in this thing of like, we want to stay being like a independent feeling business. We're at this funny stage where we're like, we're, we've now got 23 restaurants. But it's still me and Tom running it, and we've still got, you know, the team that have been with us forever. So the pizza is going up. It's an interesting little question mark. It's like, can you, can you keep growing? Because you have to keep growing, if like, from culture perspective as well, but also keep that kind of independent, fun, street food ethos. From it's the age-old challenge, isn't it's it? It's the age-old challenge. So we're, ha- we're having a shot at it. Good. Well, I mean, certainly from my experiences. The food, the service, the vibe is is definitely still there. But whilst we're on to slightly more serious topics, yeah, you did attract some financial investment. We did not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Is that worth talking about? Or you needed to do that, or you wanted to do that? What was the process? So we've taken a, <clears throat> we've taken investment a few times. The first time we took investment was when we opened the first restaurant. We didn't have the capital to open a restaurant, so um, we approached a couple of people in the industry. Um, and we ended up uh, chatting to a guy called Rupert Cleaver, who ran Geronimo Inns at the time. Yeah. Uh, and we pitched him and said, what do you reckon? Are you in? <laughs> and he was like, no. <laughs> pizza, pizza market saturated. So 
that was kind of earlier on. And then like we sort of waited another six months and we had another chat with him. And we ended up sort of getting a nice little group of people from the industry to all come in for a you know, relatively small amount of money. And we kind of created this nice little sort of dragon's den environment where we had people in the industry because we didn't know what we were doing. So we, it was nice to be able to lean on all these different people from the industry. Um, and that helped us get the first site open. And then, yeah, most recently, this was something that like that Tom really took the lead on um, was as COVID was kind of unfolding and we were kind of doing our sort of doom, doom planning for what was going to happen. The, the thought was like, there's basically two choices. Either we don't take any investment and we just go for it and see what happens, but potentially have sort of death by a thousand cuts, or we try and fill the coffers a little bit and sort of, you know, get a bit of a sort of war chest together so that we can try and take this thing on with a bit of class, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we ended up doing. And um, so Daryl and the guys at Mbiba backed us. Um, put together a really nice simple deal and like I have to say it's been a great relationship so far like I have no experience of any other private equity firm but Daryl sits on our board and he's he's a really like engaged um, like very astute got his eye on lots of different sides of the business so always comes with a different opinion for us and yeah it's been great and it allowed us in COVID to have just a bit more confidence you know we didn't ever have to fire anyone even in that weird phase when they'd kind of gone don't go to restaurants but also hadn't told us about furlough yet. There was that kind of, I think it was about a three-week Don't period. go to restaurants, but go to restaurants. Yeah, but I also go to restaurants. Something like that. I remember sitting in our office <laughs> and we watched, I think it was when Rishi uh, announced the furlough scheme and Haley, who's our head of people, cried. Because <laughs> it had just been so much pressure like holding on to like, what are we going to do? We can't fire everyone. But at the same time, what's the plan? Uh, so that was, you know, that was helpful for that. And then we launched Pitch in the Post, which was actually an idea that I'd had back in 2014. I, I wanted to do it in the pizzeria so you could walk into a pizzeria and we'd get this pizza box down off the counter and fill it with two dough balls and tomato sauce and you could take it home and make a pizza at home. But it failed, like, biblically. No, <laughs> nobody engaged with it, which meant that when COVID happened, it was like sitting on the shelf ready to go and we could just plug it straight in. So I think us and, funny enough, Joe, I think we were like the first two people like to market with a pizza kit with a restaurant certainly kit. successfully as well I mean it was it went off really well didn't it I think we were the first people that figured out that you could like I'd found this um, this packaging called wool cool which they were mostly using for like medical supplies but it's like a sustainable sheep's wool packaging and you could put an ice pack in and then you could send food through the post um, and that was like a that was a real like hang on a minute so you don't have to come in or do delivery or drop off we could mm. send it to them in the yeah. in the post nice and sterile safe delivery <laughs> <laughs> we can sell all of that now yeah. aren't we yeah um, so that was yeah and then so that again that just that investment allowed us that opportunity to go cool alright we can pivot here and we can do pizza in the post yeah and that turned into being such a joyful th- I mean in, obviously in such a tricky horrific time but like that was such a fun thing to be part of because it was like it was, it was in that phase where people were just ordering stuff online because everyone was stuck at home. You didn't, there was no delivery date on it. Do you remember that? And it was like, it'll come when it comes and it'll sort of turn up as a surprise. I, um, I, I don't remember that bit because I always remembering a date when it would come. And I can tell you now, and I think there is, there are videos of mine on Instagram um, demonstrating how much my two young daughters I remember enjoyed <laughs> the cooking part of it. And, yeah. it, and so 
And it's a funny word, enjoyed, because the amount of joy that we all derived from that experience was fabulous and the product was fabulous. So it was, it was, it was a brighter moment amongst um, challenging times that you gave us. Yeah, it was really, and it was really fun to be, so I was running the social media and I used to do a thing every, every evening called Rate My Pizza. And so like, at, at, the, at the peak of so it. Sounds like a dating show. Rate My Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do it? Next podcast. No problem. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, was, no cameras, <laughs> no cameras, <laughs> just a radio show. Um, yeah, so that was really cool. It was, it was the pizza in the post and it's still going and we, it's now like a subscription model thing and it's kind of tapped into all the people that have got these new little small pizza ovens. So yeah, very popular, of course, yeah, home it's, improvements. It's, it's the, it's the story of working in the restaurant business, which is about being a bit resourceful and a bit sort of like change tack and pivot when you need to. Indeed. I thought the restaurant business was amazing during covid i think we were like everyone just did such a good job of, of coming up with new creative fun ways of like i think the restaurant business is amazing and i think that underloved and underrespected. but that perhaps is for another day with somebody <laughs> even more serious than yeah. you and me or yeah, so fair enough. but um but yeah i couldn't agree with you more um i'm just conscious of time i try to keep them roughly within a commuting time Oh, is this going to be, Ish. this is unedited, is it? This is, this is, be... this is unedited and I don't edit because I don't want to edit because oh, I no, like the truth. Sorry, I, thought you were I, gonna... loved, I love the waffling. I thought you were going to cut this down to a no, sort of heady little 10 minute number. Not a chance. Number. Not a chance. Loved every minute of it. However, I need to ask you the final question. Oh, right, okay. That I ask everybody. And the question is, what does hospitality mean to you? Oh. Uh, what does hospitality mean to me? I think literally just touched on that, that the joy of it, it's about the joy of it. I think any, if anyone loses sight of the fact that it's about joy, Will Beckett, who, you know, not sure if you've heard of him, another up and coming person. Yes, I have indeed. In fact, you're the second person to mention him on this podcast. And I have asked him to participate and he has said he would like to. So um, all being well, we will hear from Will in due course. He would be an amazing, but he does have an incredibly eloquent way of explaining stuff. And I think it was during COVID when we were reopening the restaurants that he sent out this open letter to all of his teams being like, there's a lot going on in the world right now, but restaurants should be this little bastion, this little like um, embassy of like fun and joy and like the impact that you can do as a team member in terms of m- making someone's day at the table is like, is huge. And I think that often that, I, th- I actually think that it's, it, the, the, it's getting back to that now, but I think the restaurant has been through a phase of maybe losing that a bit in the last sort of 20 years. But I think this, where we're getting to now with, you know, the team member and the culture of the restaurant business, the, the culture of the business being so important and the fact that they're enjoying themselves. I think that's basically it. I think at its best, a restaurant is absolutely humming when that person making the food or serving at the table is loving what they're doing. And they're just, they're giving the best time they're hosting the person at the table and making their day, giving the opportunity to like, I think he mentioned something in the letter about like, your ability to turn someone's mood around is so huge. And that is that, that like, and that's a gift and that you should be able to, you know, that's a superpower. Wonderful words. I'm going to give Not you, mine. I'm going to give well. you some of the credit because, um, uh, I remembered it. it. Or maybe I didn't. Maybe there's nothing new under the sun, something like that, but I won't get too deep and spiritual in any event. Um, James, it's been amazing. Thanks, Ted. That was really fun. Thanks, James. I love you long time. And I'm really very, very grateful for your time. And I'm looking forward to sharing this 
with everybody else. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you.